It's good to see you this morning. We're going to jump right into it. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. And uh, as you know, we're in a, really, we're not in a series this summer. We're doing uh, single messages that are not necessarily related to each other. But last week, I started into this uh, message on the good news. And um, I got through one really solid point. And that solid point was repentance. It was, I mean, it was worth talking about. Uh, but today I'm going to finish that up. I think uh, the, you know, the, the gospel message is a huge subject and there's no way to cover it uh, in a couple settings. But good news, uh, Sunday just keeps rolling right on around. And so, um, so anyway, we're going to start here uh, with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, I, think, I think we'll just go ahead and pray, and then let's read it, all right? Heavenly Father, would you anoint the reading of your word and make it come alive to us, Lord? Help us to see what you want us to see. Give us eyes, give us ears to hear. Give us understanding and wisdom so that as we read it, by the Holy Spirit, it comes alive. And then with your grace, we can walk it out. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 may be a familiar passage to some of you, but it is about this idea of what happens when a person surrenders their life to Christ. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it here. It says in verse 17 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I love this idea of reconciling. Just pause here for a second. You know when you compare your bank statement with what the what your checkbook says? Most of you don't do this anymore because you use a debit card. But you shouldn't do this. You should, you should take your bank statement and you should check it against your own checking checkbook account. And when you do that and you reconcile them, what happens? You bring down the columns and at the bottom there is a discrepancy. <laughs> there is typically a discrepancy. But when you reconcile them and they are reconciled, what that means is they both say the same thing says the same, th same thing, that the numbers match. And it is so wonderful when they do. So what happens is when, G when, when Paul is saying, this is how Christ is reconciling us to God, what he's saying is, is that we say the same thing that God says. We are reconciled. We say exactly the same thing. We are in need. We are helpless. Sin has ruined us. Sin causes us separation and death, and we need help. We need Him. And so we begin to believe Him. We repent of our own sins. We turn around. We go the other direction. We believe. We have faith. And then suddenly we, we surrender to Him. And, and if, if, you didn't, if you didn't realize it, like, like it comes on you like, how did this happen? There's a new creation that begins to emerge out of the inside of your own soul. 
when you respond to God this way. And so when you're reconciled, you start saying the same thing. You say what he says about himself and you say what he says about you. You say the same thing. So here it is. He says, verse 19, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them. That's pretty good news. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So we're in charge of sharing this idea of saying the same thing that God says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Everybody say ambassador. We are Christ's ambassadors. That means we represent him to another country. We represent him. We are Senator Kerry to President Obama. And we are, and, and he has a difficult job right now. Right, there's an, there's an ambassador that, that, that we're, we're going into another country and we're trying to speak on behalf of the king of the country we're from. And so as we do that, we're talking about reconciliation. He says, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin. In other words, he took his own son who didn't have any sinful tendencies, no sinful behaviors, and he became sin. He took sin upon himself. He became a sin offering is what this means. He became a sin offering for us so that in him, everybody say in him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Just by way of review, if you look at your message sheet, you'll see there are three points. Repentance, belief, and surrender. But I, I don't, so they're already filled in for you, but I want you to circle one really important word. One really important word. See the phrase, the, the sentence just on top of number one. Do you see it? What does it say? We reconnect to the source of life by, what's that word? I want you to take your pen and I want you to, I want you to circle it. We connect to the source of life, we reconnect to the source of life by responding to God's love. Can I suggest to you that you are not the initiator of your salvation? God is the initiator and we're just the responders. God initiates everything, we respond to him. And what he really wants what he really wants, what his idea was, that, that we're in such a close and intimate relationship that we are attentive to him and responsive to anything and everything he wants us to do. This is the message of the good news, that you can be in that kind of relationship with God, that sin doesn't have to control you. Sin doesn't have to be your master. Sin doesn't have to destroy you, keep you in bondage, that you can be full of life and free. That's the good news. Now, I want to review. Last week, I, I kind of stumbled on this idea that sin means missing the mark. And sometimes we incorrectly see it as a bullseye on a target, and here we are, we're pulling back the bow and arrow, and we're trying to hit the target, and we miss. And that's sin. It's a, little, it's a little worse than that, 
right? It's a little worse than just, but even though, even though sin means missing the mark, right? That's, that's an actual translation. It means missing the mark. But what does repentance mean? Repentance is to turn around and go the other direction. So here we are, we're shooting, and we tend to want to think, I've got to get better at hitting this mark. I've got to get better at doing this. I've, I'm a Christian. I said the prayer, so I have to fill in the blank. Once you start using the I have to language, you're, going, you're moving away from a relationship and into some kind of controlling religion. What you have to get that the good news is not you trying harder to hit the mark better. He wants you to eliminate trying to hit the mark and turn to the one, the only one who has ever hit the mark. The only one who will ever hit the mark. The only one who can save you from this process where you're where missing the mark is killing you. It's not about you becoming better at hitting the mark. It's about you accepting his, his love and relationship. And you know the verse we just read, it said, in him, in him, not in yourself, not in your own strength, but in Christ, you become the righteousness of God. Some of you are not so sure. I don't know, Pastor Ross, that seems like, that seems too good to be true. It is. It's so good, it's beyond your ability, really, to comprehend. So you, here, here's what I want to pause and say about the good news, and then we'll get on to this week's um, outline. People responding to God is a spiritual process. Do you think you can convince somebody to repent? You think you can convince somebody to turn around and go the other direction from the direction they're going? You, you can't convince them. No amount of incredible preaching can, can make that happen. No amount, no amount of you trying to get another person to do it will make it happen. No amount of you forcing or guilting or pressuring will actually cause someone to repent. Guess what? It's not your job to make people repent. That's God's job. It's the Holy Spirit's work in a person. And the Holy Spirit begins to work on a person and they begin and, and they begin to realize, oh, I'm in, I'm headed in the wrong direction. This is crazy. I'm I'm in trouble. This is the wrong way to go. I've got to turn around. That's a Holy Spirit job. So what that means is repentance is a gift and we need to pray for the gift sometimes we need to ask the Holy Spirit to make us sensitive to him to his voice to be attentive to be responsive to him because he's initiated all we're doing is responding so when you share the gospel it's really important that we share it well that we share it in the correct context that we don't create a picture of religion or something that is disconnected from relationship, something that is r ritualistic, we want to share the good news. But it can be tricky. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. So if you go right where we were with 2 Corinthians 5 and you go over to, to chapter 4 and verse 4, look what it says. 
It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know what this verse says? This verse says that spiritual influences are active in our world. That there is a physical, tangible world and there is a spiritual world. And that spiritual world is active just as the physical world is active. And those spiritual influences begin to blind people's minds. The, the, the kingdom of darkness wants to blind people from the light of the gospel. But this verse says that the light of the gospel begins to reveal Christ. And what does Christ reveal? What is, who, who does Christ reveal? God, the Father. He is the one who shows us what God is like. God is like a guy who came to the earth as a baby, grew up, began to be a blessing to people, began to do miracles, began to speak life into people. He embraced the poor. He embraced the needy. And suddenly, as his uh, compassion drove him to, to provide for people and to share with people, then the religious people got jealous because they couldn't control the masses anymore. Jesus was a revolutionary in this respect. And he took the lid off of what they'd always known and, and exposed people to another way of, of understanding who God is. And they killed him for that. They put him in a tomb. The good news is, he was raised to life on the third day. He conquered death and he conquered hell and he conquered sin. That's pretty good news. And if death is conquered, then anything's possible. So, here we are in sharing the good news. I think we have to, I think we have to work this. Because, I mean, let's face it. We're not always that good at it. And so we have to talk about it from time to time and, and identify some ideas about how to do it, all right? Because, I mean, one of my favorite stories, favorite sharing the gospel stories is from my dad. And my dad just shared in communion here a few minutes ago. But he was an 18-year-old Bible school student. 18 years old. And he was convinced he needed to start sharing the gospel in a greater way. The good news. And so he was really passionate about it. And he tried to figure out, like, who, who can he share the good news? He started sharing it with all kinds of people. And, and so one day he's driving his 56 Chevy. Two-door? Yeah. Two-door, 56 Chevy, classic. He's driving it down Southern California. He was going to Bible school, and he sees a guy on the side of the road, just a kid, and he's hitchhiking. So he pulls his 56 Chevy. He pulls his 56 Chevy up uh, 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 along the road, and he just he waits for the guy. He comes up, and, and get, he got, the kid jumps in. He's about 15 years old. My dad's 18, full of passion, full of desire. And he, and he steps on the gas and he turns to the kid and he says, are you ready to die? <laughs> kind of, I think, just thinking in his mind, are, are you ready to meet your maker? Do you know where you would go to spend eternity? But he says, are you ready to die? The kid freaks out, looks at him, what are you saying? And then the second phrase my dad says is, look in that glove compartment. <laughs> <laughs> like he's going to find a gun or something. The kid freaks out and starts screaming, no, no, I don't want to die. My dad had a tract in the glove compartment. He wanted him to get it out. He had some pamphlet on Jesus and on the gospel, and he wanted him to see it. So 
This was not good. They stopped at a stop line, stop sign, and, and the kid jumped out of the car and ran away. We have no idea what happened to that kid. <laughs> here's, the, here's the truth. We, we have to be directed and led, and we have to encourage one another and challenge one another what it looks like to share the message of the good news. It's not necessarily native to us. It's not necessarily natural to us. And here's my, here's my big thing. In our culture, we have moved from the Judeo-Christian ethic, from that foundation, to something that's beyond that, a post-Christian era, where, where those values do not saturate all of our, all of our structures, all of our cultural um, values, so we have a challenge. So the first thing we have to do in sharing the good news is we must be strategic. Strategic. Now why do we have to be strategic? Because there, there is a war going on. It's a spiritual war. It is not a physical war. It is a war of ideas. It is a war of concepts and, and understanding and seeing in the spiritual realm. We're in, we're, we're, in a war for the souls of people. Second Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We don't use the same weapons that the world fights with. We fight on a different plane, a different level. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds. He, he, he expands on the idea in verse 5. He says, We demolish arguments arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In, in two different ways, we deal with a war within ourselves and we take captive every thought in our minds and make it obedient to Christ. And there's a war for the minds of people. We just read how the, the, the God of this age has blinded their minds. But we don't fight like they do. Ephesians 6, if you want to write that in your, just to the side. Ephesians 6 has a great passage. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of this dark world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And, and th- we, have to, we have to tap into that. And so how do we strategically share the gospel? Well, we have to pray. Because that's a spiritual function. When we pray, the Holy Spirit's activity increases. When we pray, we get boldness. When we pray, now what is prayer? Is it a ritual? No, it is a conversation with God. You have access to all the wisdom of God because you can talk to Him and He can talk to you. You can talk to Him and He can talk to you. That's what prayer is. Now, is it any wonder that the... the, The enemy of our souls fights so hard to keep us from the little bit of prayer that we do every day. Because if you could transition from a little prayer every day or one or two prayers uh, a week, if you could transition to a constant conversation where you have specific time with him but but all day long, there's this attentiveness, this conversation that's going on between you and him. The power, the authority, the boldness you may, might have would change. But that's strategic. You've got to decide you're going to pray for somebody to share the gospel with them. You're going to have to decide, okay, 
I see that person at work and they need Jesus and I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them in my prayer closet. I'm going to pray for them every day. I'm going to pray for them because I want them to be on my mind. And I'm just, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to plan intentionally how I'm going to share Christ. Now, let me add this. I think when we pray, God gives us the strategy we're supposed to use. It's not you using your own strategy. Bless God, they need the gospel. I'm, I'm telling them tomorrow. It's happening tomorrow. We're doing it. No, you, there's a timing thing. Strategy means you're not just doing it yourself. You're coordinating. Oh, that's good. You should write that down. You're coordinating. You're collaborating with God himself. Hello? Coordinating with God himself. That is real strategy. Number two, we have to be, when we share the message of the gospel, the good news, we must share it symbolically. We must be symbolic as we share. I'm not talking about symbolism in terms of a meaningless, empty imitation. I'm talking about the truth of heaven acted out here on earth. I'm talking about the truth of heaven being acted out in our activities and our circumstances and the things that we do for others, they are symbols of the kingdom we represent. And even though the message of the gospel must be shared and articulated with words... I believe that often the strategy God wants us to use is to soften up the ground by activities and actions that are symbols of his love and his grace and his mercy. We become extensions of his hands and feet when we care for the poor, when we, when we see people in need and we begin to care for them. When our neighbor needs something and we spot the need and we meet it, they didn't even have to ask. That is a characteristic and a, a, a part of reflecting the nature of God. That is the gospel message, the goodness of God, the good news of God functioning through you as you symbolically demonstrate it. Look at what Jesus said when he told his disciples why he came. Jesus called them together, they're arguing about over who's really great. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. It's, it's, it doesn't work the same. Here's, here's, we're part of a different kingdom. It doesn't work the same. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. If you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. And if whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's your next fill in the blank. We have to demonstrate the love of God in practical and tangible ways. Practical and tangible ways. We started a project a couple years ago, a partnership with Sunset Valley Elementary School, and we adopted them and as a school. It's right around the corner here. And a high percentage of those students are on what we would call the free and reduced lunch program, which means that they get good food when they're at school, but then when they go home, economically, uh, it's difficult enough. They qualify for 
this special thing at school, but when they go home, the, the, the odds are they're not eating well and they're not eating enough. And so we started a project called We've Got Your Backpack. We bought a bunch of backpacks, we filled them up with food, and we send them home with those kids every weekend so they have food on the weekend. And they bring those backpack backs to, backpacks back to school. And, we, and, and then they give them back and we take them back again the next week and fill them up with food and, and deliver them. And every weekend those kids get food on the weekend. Now, there is no overt gospel message within that backpack. <laughs> But there is a message that's being sent loud and clear that God's people care about people in need. And we're going to try to feed them. And we're going to try to help them. And what's happening is the reputation of God and his people is changing in that school and their families. And as that reputation changes, I don't know what might happen from there because all it takes is for God to open up a person's heart to be open to the idea that huh there's something really good going on here we don't know who's going to share the message with them face to face and articulate it and then and then lead them to God we don't even we don't need, I mean I'm of the opinion it doesn't even have to be a person that leads them to him the holy spirit sometimes will just lead a person to realize he's there and they respond to him themselves. But here's the thing. We're opening the door to that when we live out the gospel in a symbolic way. And that means, and what that really means for you and me as one chapel is we have to live in a way that, that our actions don't contradict our message. Our, our actions have to reinforce our message. Everything we do is symbolic and they'll take it and they'll interpret it. So if you fly off the handle at work routinely and curse, use God's name in vain, and then try to share how loving and, and wonderful God is, somehow there's a, there's, a, there's a disconnect. If you mistreat people at work and try to push them down so you can be lifted up at work, you are not using the tactics of the kingdom that you belong to. Because the tactics of the kingdom you belong to has another purpose besides your career ladder. The tactics that the kingdom of God that, that you've received, that you've been given, is serving people in need and helping them, helping lift them up. And as you do that, as we do that, something happens. It's symbolic, but it it challenges their way of thinking. And so whether it's Love Austin, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's your coworker, you we all have to do this. We have to demonstrate it. Number three, finally, number three, we have to be subversive. When we share the message of the gospel, we do it in a subversive manner. And what that means is we are subverting the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of self. We are undermining the kingdom of self and establishing the kingdom of God. Now, here's the problem. When you believe the gospel, you're subverting the tendency, the temptation for you to establish your own kingdom and do whatever you want to do. Remember, we talked about it. Surrender, repentance, belief, just being willing to give yourself up. God's will versus your will. And what's, what, 
what being subversive means is you're always thinking about the fact that there's another kingdom that people are a, a part of. And you're not declaring war on them as much as you are infiltrating. Your kingdom is from a faraway place. And you're bringing heaven to earth. And you don't necessarily want them <laughs> to understand the extent to which you believe this. Because that means they would avoid you. <laughs> There's a moment where if they really knew what you actually believed, they'd think you're crazy. And so you have to be willing to do it in a way that Jesus did it. Think about this. We are revolutionaries working to overthrow a kingdom. And we're replacing it with another the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. We are not in an all-out declared war. We are working subversively to rescue refugees and to set up reconnaissance for what is coming. Because what is coming is his kingdom. It's on its way. We are frustrating and foiling the enemy's plans. His strategies, we are, we are undermining them in a way that requires a low profile. Let me just be honest with you. Sometimes people have chosen high profile tactics to share the message of the gospel. And it often yields disaster. Because it uses the tactics of the world we live in. Power. Control. Some kind of external influence. You have to ask yourself, and we have to ask ourselves, what is the way we should be sharing the gospel in our city? You might be saying, well, isn't that dishonest? No, it's, no, it's not dishonest, but it is hidden. Because we are in a deadly, serious, a, a serious engagement with the enemy. And there's a, there's a tremendous amount of integrity and love that is required. And, there, and, and really there's this commitment. There's, there's, there's three things that we have to settle. And that is, we, we have to believe that the status quo is wrong and, and this kingdom must be overthrown. Some of, us, some of us have trouble believing that. In fact, we enjoy this kingdom so much that it begins to become part of us. And we don't usher in... God's kingdom because we're so comfortable we enjoy this kingdom so much I'm telling you the gospel is transformative it changes the way you think about everything it changes the way you see everything we have to believe that this world is not livable the way it is there's no life here that the only world that's livable is the kingdom that is coming. That is in existence here. It is spiritual in nature. There is life in it. But we have to believe that it's real. It has to be a conviction. If you ever saw the movie The Matrix, you understand what I'm saying. There's a world that exists that is real. You have to believe it. 
There is no red pill or blue pill. But there is the gospel, the good news. And here's the, here's the final thing. The usual means by which one kingdom is thrown out and another one is put in place. Military force, political action, um, all of these ways, they're not available to us. You might be thinking, well, Pastor Ross, are you saying we shouldn't vote? No, you should vote. You live in America. It's your right. It's a wonderful thing. But it is not the way the kingdom of God comes alive in another person. Political action will never change the heart of a person, even though it can be helpful in, in a culture. But what we're talking about is a kingdom that's different. Look what Paul said. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. He was specifically resisting this dynamic of how he was going to share this with them. He said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Often it's better to come to people and, and to be used by God and to have him work with you, through you, when you're humble, respectful, maybe even fearful that you might be taken the wrong way, but there's a power that's living on the inside of you that will overcome that fear. And if you'll listen to it, if you'll be attentive to it, then you will, in a, if you can, be a, a person who subverts the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of self and you'll begin to make inroads. You'll begin to infiltrate your community. You'll begin to help another person see, open their eyes and see what's real and what's not. I think you have to see it this way. Think of all the things in the scripture that sound this way. Seeds. Tiny little plant. Jesus talked about seeds all the time. Tiny little, tiny little mustard seed. Faith. It's all you need is a tiny little seed and you can transform the landscape. Think about salt. Jesus talked about salt. Salt, just a little grain of salt. You're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor of saltiness, then it's thrown out. There's something about this that's very subversive. It's, it's very hidden. Weakness, humility, hope, servanthood. These are the tools of the subversive Christian. Think about Jesus for a second. He would heal people and then tell them not to tell anyone. Why did he do that? Why did he, tell, why did he heal people and then say, no, don't tell anybody? You know why? Because he knew that it would mess up the kingdom of God coming and it would start messing with the kingdom of the world. Think about what he would do. He would disappear for hours on end, praying and communicating with his heavenly father. He told stories, parables. Think of this. Over 40 some parables, only one happened inside a church or a synagogue. And only two even mentioned God. What does that mean? What was he doing? He was telling stories. He was planting seeds. He was trusting that God was at work in wherever he was, whoever he was interacting with, and he was, he was depositing an idea into their hearts and then letting the kingdom of God begin to come alive. What am I saying? What am I saying? Am I, am I saying don't, don't share the gospel 
freely and consider. No, I, I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have to be willing to be strategic with love and with kindness and then we have to listen to the voice of the spirit and we have to be attentive to what his plan and his purpose is as we find our way into the community and share the message of the gospel we have to trust that it's not just on us it's not just about us it's not a pressured thing for us you, you the pressure to be an evangelist I want to I want to lessen and loosen the pressure for you to do that. I think once you discover the gospel for yourself it comes out pretty naturally. Right? There's a thing that you want to do it, but then you have to learn how to do it well. Okay? There's a there's a card in the back of your seat back pocket that I want you to take with you today. Everybody get it get it out there. There's a seat pocket right there and uh the people on the front don't have seat backs in front of them, so you people behind them uh, help help them. Give them a give them a card. Now I want you to look at it. It says, "Jesus." It's quoting Jesus. He says, "I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest." And on the back are five lines. You know what those five lines are? Those are places for people's names who you are going to pray for. That's all I'm asking you to do. I am not asking you to develop a strategy to reach them. I want you to pray for them because once you pray for them, God will begin to tell you how to do that. I want you to list them and I want you to put them in your mirror. I want you to list them down, put them in your wallet and carry it around in your purse so that you'll be reminded and you just pray for them. Jesus, please, please help this person. Please help Jenny. Please reveal yourself to her. Please use me to do it. Give me an opportunity. Lord, help me to know what to do and what to say. Lord, I pray for her and her kids. I pray, Lord, that you would open up heaven and begin to reveal all that's possible for her. Lord, whatever she's facing, Lord, would you, would you be there? Would you intervene? Right? I just start praying for her. And as we do, God will begin to give you an opportunity. Now, as we do this, I think this has to be just a way of life. And what I want us to be as one chapel is the kind of church that will share the life of God that is in us in a free and open and honest way, but that will also understand behind the scenes when we don't talk about it very often, you know, we're hidden. We're finding our way into places where people never thought we could go to share the message. In three weeks, we're going to start 21 days of prayer to launch into our fall. And we're going to pray every day and we're going to pray for our families and we're going to pray for our friends and we're going to pray for our city and we're going to ask God to give us wisdom and give us a heart and give us the desire and give us the strategy for how to share the message with people. I I want us to dig in. Right? Use this. Let's pray. Bow your eyes. Did I just say it? God, I, I think I said it last week in this service, didn't I? Because I, as soon as I said it, I was thinking, okay, don't screw it up. And then I said it out loud. Just close your eyes. Do what I tell you. You can bow your eyes. It's not, that's possible. You can't close your head. I didn't go there. Father, we need, uh, we need grace, we need favor, we need wisdom, we need insight, we need revelation. We, 
We need you. And so, Lord, today, all of us across the landscape of this service and our gathering today, we repent of doing our own thing, getting consumed in the kingdom of this world, being too attached to it, not seeing ourselves as from another kingdom. Lord, would you help us? Would you give us insight into how this really works in us? Help us to see and to know the, the wonder, the mystery, the transforming power of the good news. That this is not religion that's trying to control us, but there is a relationship that you want to interact with us. And so, Lord, help us to respond to that today and help us to share it with others, with meaning, with purpose, strategy, with symbolism, our lives representing who you are and willing to be hidden, subverting the kingdom of this world. Now, if you're here today and you're hearing this message and you're thinking to yourself, I, I have been far away from God. The distance between me and Him has been so big. I, I, gotta, I gotta make a new start today. I have to make a fresh start today. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, I've never had a relationship with God like that. I, I don't even really know what you're talking about. I hope it's true, but I haven't been sure. But today, I just, I, I wanna find out. So you open up your heart and you say yes to God in a new way. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. But if that's you, if I described you, then raise your hand right now. Say, Pastor, please pray for me. Right now. Right now. Yep. Who else? Who else? Yep. Over here. Anybody else? Way over here in the back. Anybody else? That's awesome. Fresh start is what God wants to give you today. He wants to start again with you and he's, <laughs> and he's willing, he's ready. Come on, all over the room, let's pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, everybody together, come on, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who shows me the way. Forgive me for doing my own thing, going my own way, resisting you. I accept you today. I trust you today. I choose you today. I want to follow you. I repent. And I choose you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that prayer that every person across this room prayed and they meant it. In other words, they attached their faith to it. I pray that you would seal it today the work that's going on inside them and lead them from this place into your life that you have for them. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in all of us. Help us to have a picture, an understanding, a revelation of the good news so that we carry it around everywhere we go. Thank you for this in Jesus' name.